Hi everyone, I'm Chase. And I'm Yanling. Welcome to the another episode of our Freelance Creative Exchange. Every week we'll talk to a freelancer or someone about the freelancing economy and the gig economy. And today we have a very special guest with us today, OKJ! Yay! <laughs> Thank you for having me here. Yeah, actually, what does OKJ stand yeah, for? Do you want to introduce... Like, what does OKJ stand for and yeah. what you actually do? So, uh, OKJ is uh, onkajing. The reason why it's OKJ is only because, personally, I feel very irritated in most scenes where they put first name first. So it's kajing and then ong. That's not my oh. name. So, I just go with the abbreviated thing. Uh. Mm. I'm a uh, documentary storyteller. have been doing that for about uh, three years. And it has been quite a crazy ride since. <gasps> So as everyone can guess, right, when you look at OKJ, you know that he looks relatively young, but he actually certainly has a journey before him, right? And and now he's actually a full-time freelancer. So um, let's hear a bit about your journey. How do you actually start in this industry? Well, uh, the industry started from uh, my love for uh, documentaries. Uh, I've been watching documentaries since I was a kid. Um, a few things in my life happened that uh, are stories by itself, but maybe the most condensed version I'll give is that when I uh, went into NUS Dombusu College, four weeks in, the master of the college announced that they want to send students to Komodo National Park. Now, who, don't, who wouldn't be excited by that, right? Yeah. Got to see Komodos real life in the flesh. That sounded like something from Animal Planet and all those. So I thought, you know what? Let's do a documentary about it. I put my name up and then I realized that I was the only one who expressed interest. I do not know why, but I was the only one who expressed interest that day. So they gave me an ultimatum. Run the project as well, along with the documentary, or we have to scrap the whole thing. Now, once again, this is four weeks into a brand new stage in my life, which is university. Um, so after 15 minutes of long thinking, I, was, I thought this uh, is an opportunity that I couldn't miss. I grabbed it, I repackaged and marketed the whole thing, and it became a 26-man uh, uh, crew. Uh, we went to four islands across 12 days in Indonesia. And after 11 months, we also made a documentary that was surprisingly well-received uh, in like film festivals and won uh, uh, awards here and there. Yeah, so, but what were you studying um, in NUS? So in NUS, I studied business. Uh, mm. I studied business for two reasons. Or one, because I can. So it became a natural plan B for me mm. in case this thing doesn't work out. At mm. least I have a degree that apparently society values. Mm. Uh, and then the second thing is that I personally do not believe in uh, uh, going to a film school. Not to say that film school is a bad thing. I think like mm. that is a viable option for a lot of people. Personally, mm. for me, I learned through observations and application. Mm. So I felt that rather than going to one of the uh, many schools that I can learn filmmaking, I decided I'll just do the, bis- uh, the business school thing. And in my own time, I would learn through doing. Mm. doing the documentaries doing a lot of like short films as uh, short films short documentaries as well and that seemed to work out in my favour so it seems like you already have make up, make up your mind to be a documentary filmmaker while you're staying in school so yeah. I used to because that's how that's how actually we also came to know about KJ as well right which mm. was through your blog Okay. <laughs> yeah. Are you still running it, by the way? Do you still write about documentaries? Uh, so, uh, the blog no longer exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time it's called OKJ Discoveries, which is a really long name. You know, now it's <laughs> OKJ Works. It's a, it's a lot simpler and that, like, there's good meaning behind the name. But I still do continue to write. Uh, I think one of the things um, us freelancers can do to get our name out into the world is to 
post content, not just video content, but other kind of content as well. And personally, I found uh, that avenue to be LinkedIn. So now on LinkedIn, I do uh, write articles as much as I can, both as a form of reflection, but also as a form of uh, giving value back to the community or just to like other like potential clients. So to give a bit, uh, a bit behind the scenes of what the process is like or what it takes to actually survive or thrive in this uh, freelance economy. So, so having go to a film school, um, you know, and, sorry, having gone to business schools, mm-hmm. you know, and then wanting to do, um, you know, to be a documentary um, director, storytellers, do you, how do you see your training in the business school um, help you in your journey to be a freelancer? Oh, okay. So that's quite interesting. Um, it wasn't intentional because uh, at first I always thought it was a backup. But what I found out was that I stumbled upon a good combination was that uh, a lot of the times for creatives, uh, we might not have the right verbiage or the right lingo to kind of uh, seize the opportunities at hand. Because sometimes uh, the creative process is a bit uncomfortable for uh, people in the business world, the administrative world. But uh, because of uh, what I've been exposed to in the NUS Business School, I'm able to translate the value of uh, engaging creative services to people who uh, wouldn't do that on, on a normal basis and make them feel comfortable. And fortunately, because I also came from the hospitality industry, um, I do know how to um, onboard people comfortab- uh, comfortably because sometimes when you bring new guests or bring new staff into a new hotel, it's a brand new experience. So I also incorporate that along with the uh, business lingo and all that to onboard uh, potential clients into this process. Uh, this actually sounds a lot like what we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think so? Because uh, a lot of times we tell that people we are sort of a middleman, you know, between the creatives as well as the business side of it. Mm. Sometimes clients just don't know how to express themselves uh, well. Mm. And it's it's the same for their side as well. The creatives sometimes, you know, if you're an illustrator, you're not the best at expressing yourself in words yeah, or yeah. pitching it to your client, mm. right? So you have to translate that into you know what makes sense to the client as a business you know or the marketing team so you know help yeah. us in the project management <laughs> <laughs> who knows but I, I, I do want to add as well is that it's not just that creatives don't know how to uh, not all creatives know how to communicate that it is also both ways so sometimes a lot of businesses they, they know what they want but they do not know how to express it uh, that in a way that's productive to the creatives yeah. So sometimes, uh, fortunately for me, because of my exposure, I'm able to also pick up on some of the uh, things when uh, a potential client comes to me and then describes what they want out of the vi- uh, video. That's not purely ROI or whatever. And I'm able to like, okay, I think this, then this video needs to be adjusted as such, such that it will be both uh, satisfactory to me as a creative, but also definitely satisfactory to you as investment for all of your like marketing or storytelling purposes. So you just started um, so-called going into this full-time, right? Um, so how do you actually build your client base, you know, and grow your business in that sense? So I think for uh, building the client base is that there's no, there's, there's no easy way out, you know. It, it is really just elbow grease. Uh, I knew that uh, even before I uh, entered, uh, entered NS. So even then when I kept my ear close to the ground, I've already started to, you know, uh, gather name cards, started to build healthy relationships. You, uh, maybe I, I know that then that there might not be a project, but who knows? You know, you, you always want to maximize the potential of opportunities uh, for, uh, that you might be getting. So it's just a lot of legwork um, and try to have an impression. Usually, I, fortunately for me, uh, it's quite easy to leave an impression because I'll just tell people that I'm in the business school, but I do documentaries. 
uh, that seems to be a very concise way to get people's attention because they will start to ask why because it doesn't link and all those. So that's my uh, uh, that's my method. But I'm pretty sure for a lot of the other creatives, they definitely have a unique way of telling their own stories. So do you mean that um, for every for for any freelancers who want to start up, is it it is important for them to actually look for this niche or at least this um, I would say this short blur about themselves that make people excited about them. Yeah, I, I think definitely to find a niche would be uh, something that uh, is definitely um, on the high end of, uh, of the agenda because there's so many videographers and content creators and to differentiate, to just say that you're, you're better is, is something that's always subjective and it's always something that, I mean, you can defend, but it will cost so much and sometimes speed is of the essence. So when you're able to develop a niche and by niche, I'm, uh, it might not be just or a specific subject or specific style. It, I personally feel like a niche could be you. If you're able to define yourself very clearly, then you can uh, become that defining factor as well, which I think a lot of uh, uh, a lot of us in the industry always discount ourselves because we've seen a lot of people who are clearly better. We see a lot of people who have you know, taken years of effort ahead of us. Like how, how can we be better? How, how am I supposed to differentiate against him or her? But our own stories, given the fact that we are storytellers, right? I think when we master uh, the telling of our own stories, it helps us and enables us uh, for opportunities to tell the stories of others. So how difficult it is for you to lay your first client? Or maybe how easy it is for you to lay your first client? Uh, well, you can never depend on luck, but I will still say that I've been uh, lucky in that. So I already had the opportunity to, have, uh, to do an overseas documentary. So, and that is, I think, really uh, something of the, um, of another tier compared to, less, let's say, like a, a short film and all that. So immediately after I have that, because I, immediately after I made uh, the film, uh, someone in school saw it, whose father uh, runs a, a farm in Cambodia. And that became my uh, second project. So from having no experience, sadly, I, I found myself having two overseas, uh, overseas video in my portfolio. And because of that, I, I kind of also know the right words to say uh, for potential clients and all those. So I already have two overseas uh, projects that I believe are quite well done. And then after that, I also have a few uh, local projects as well, form a bit of a portfolio, send it in, and then beef it up from there. So it was, uh, I was lucky in having that one-two punch. Yeah, yeah. I feel it's like everything sort of fell into place just from like a domino effect, right? Yeah. Yeah, just one thing led to another, led to another, and then, mm. yeah. But I would, uh, I'll definitely add on uh, to the fact that uh, the reason why I say like don't rely on luck is because like I think uh, at some point in time in uh, all of the creative uh, life cycle, you would have an opportunity of an abundance of uh, an abundance of uh, new projects coming in. But not everyone is able to seize the moment because uh, we lack the readiness. So that's why I love uh, to plan ahead of it. It's like I, do not, I do not know when such opportunities would arise, but I've always planned in advance that when it does come, that I have the ability to grasp it. So let's bring it back to that, where you were talking about, you know, how do you, uh, you know, when you're speaking or when you're connecting, you're actually building healthy relationships with um, whoever it is that you may meet. So do you have some tips on that? I guess uh, that's what everybody understands. They know that they need to do, but... How do you actually do it? I think that's where a lot of people meet that break. It's, I, I won't say it's only creators, you know, for most people in whichever career they choose, this is something that I guess everybody is hoping to have as well, you know. But what, what do you think works, at least for you? 
So uh, for me, in terms of uh, the tips that I may give, and once again, I'm, I'm definitely still uh, a, a student of the game. Uh, but what has worked for me is one, to understand myself. Once again, before I tell other people's story, I need to be able to tell my own story to other people first. So I, I knew that I had a hook in my origin as a documentary uh, storyteller. So I really capitalized on that. Uh, I'm also someone who um, is usually quite blunt. I do not have a poker face. I do not know how to play that game. So that's not my strength. But um, so when my friends doing reflectives, uh, sometimes we have like heart to heart talks and all those. And I've learned over the years that I am a brutally honest person, both to myself and to others. So I also use that to my strength because I understand that uh, whenever I am with a potential client or just someone who might happen to be a partner uh, in the future, and I would just be brutally honest, that also had an impression. And then months or years later, and this has hap uh, actually happened before, months or years uh, later, I would just suddenly get a, uh, a random message from him or her stating that, hey, are you still doing video? Because like, uh, we are actually looking for this and uh, you know, you spoke about last time about your documentaries and all that, are you still doing that? Or why not we meet for a coffee and uh, discuss about that? And that has led to, uh, led to paid work and also career progression. So who are your usual clients though? Because I know you, you, you try to focus a lot on uh, creating your own stories and your own documentaries, right? But in terms of paid work then, you know, commission mm. work, who are you getting it from and what do they usually ask you to do? Is it also very documentary or um, how would say real content driven? Mm. Yeah, so uh, the, the way I do my... Um, my niche is in documentary storytelling. So that's how I frame myself. Uh, in terms of commission works, it is for, um, one of the main ones is definitely for uh, uh, corporates who want that documentary uh, uh, telling treatment. So, so now we see a lot uh, the abundance of um, content created specifically to tell a deeper story and all these kind of things. So we've seen some fantastic uh, content coming up where it's more of the short film style. Uh, you know, uh, clearly, I think a lot of the uh, works coming out from Thailand has helped to boost that when you see commercials that are like five minutes long. And I think most recently, the May last year, one of the hits was the uh, NTUC with the wedding. Like that was definitely a, a clear storytelling thing. And I personally feel that documentary is also heading to that, that some people feel like, hey, why not rather than just script a story? We, I think we have story that's brewing in real life. And if we have the documentary uh, treatment, that will help. So that is something that I... Uh, that I sell to uh, potential uh, corporate clients that they have story that they do not need to script. They just need someone who is dedicated enough to be there and capture it when it happens and in the interviews to ask the right questions. Because uh, I think, especially for documentary, I think interviews is one of the cornerstones, but a lot of people take it um, uh, take it for granted. Like, oh, just ask questions and then we're like putting it together. I feel that it is almost, uh, that that is always one of the most important aspects because I not only just ask questions i ask the right questions and i'm usually rewarded by very intimate uh content that i'm being entrusted uh to potentially share with the world wide web which is always very vulnerable and intimidating so i'm always very honored to be given the privilege to do so 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 if a client comes to you then and says like hey mm -hmm. i just want to make a video you know in a different style like say i want an mtv style uh, or just a normal corporate video style, would you then like do it, or would you say no, no, no? Let's just try to stick to a documentary style. Like, are you very selective about that, or would you just like go ahead and okay, this uh, is what you want? 
So for me, if you ask, uh, my answer is different depending on which stage of life I'm in. Clearly, if uh, you have asked me this a year ago or two years ago, then it's like, hey, I need to put four on the table. My school fees need to be paid and all those. Of course, I know I can do it. And maybe I do not prefer this style, but of course I can do it. Right now, um, I'm still at that midway point, but uh, I found it a lot more productive to, if let's say they want an MTV style. Uh, and I had this conversation a few months ago with uh, a client where she wants both documentary style, but every now and again, something that's a lot more hype, you know, a lot more uh, trendy, if you will. And I said to her, for these kind of projects, let me introduce you to my friends. Uh, I think being in this uh, industry, especially as a freelancer, you'll uh, you end up attracting a lot of uh, like-minded people who are special specialists in different styles. So I say that if you have any of these projects, let me know. I'll, uh, I'll introduce you to my friend. She's a lot better at doing this than I am. And I think that's, I, I think that's the win-win. I, I'm... I forgot who I learned this from, whether it is from a podcast or just from one of those conversations I had with a friend, was that uh, when I go to the negotiation table with a potential client, the win-win uh, is such that, you know, if, I, if we leave the table, we don't lose anything. We, you treat it as though it's, it's just another day. Maybe you lost uh, that hour in negotiating, but you didn't, really, you didn't lose any money because that money on the table wasn't yours to begin with. And I think that made me uh, a lot more stronger when it comes to uh, negotiations because I am much more comfortable not only in valuing myself, but also if I felt that that project wasn't right for me in execution, I, would, I have no hesitation in saying that, you know what, I can't do this, but my friend can do this really, really well. Why not you sit down with him or her? Next time you can say Creative Edwards can do it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can do everything for you, yeah. anything for you. <laughs> 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 okay, thanks for sharing. But um, in your process um, of doing your work, right, um, especially your first overseas documentary, what are some of the challenges that you face and, and how do you actually overcome those challenges? So uh, in terms of the overseas, so one of the uh, bad habits that I have for the first three uh, documentaries that I made, which was 18 minutes, 30 minutes, 25 minutes. Oh, most of them were one-man show. I did the production, the directing, uh, cinematography. I wouldn't even say cinematography because that's an, really a specialist thing, but I shot it myself, ed uh, editing and all those. So it was Pao Ka Liao. Uh, and sure, that, uh, that worked fine. Uh, it has, I think those challenges are quite obvious, but I think uh, one of the uh, things that I've learned is that that is not sustainable, at least at least not for me, because you really kill yourself uh, at each of the uh, at each of the project. Even though at the end of it, you come up with a film that you really love and all those. So definitely, like in twenty nineteen, one of my main focuses this year is to work with other people, which is definitely stepping out of my comfort zone to have to work with other people that are usually better than I am because they are specialists in their field and I love that because they are strict and uh, so strict and so passionate in what they do that I always get to learn from them but that also means also uh, loosening the grip on the process as well because then it becomes a um, a work that is owned by the people who create it so does it mean that you are slowly transiting from a freelancers which is an individual you need to building your own team to work on bigger budget project in that sense. Ah, okay. So for, for my case, uh, I've I recently uh, spoke to someone, Benjamin, which uh, I think both of you know. Uh, Last names. Benjamin Ang. Yes, Benjamin Ang. Yeah. And he's definitely someone who I, uh, I admire because the way he has 
expanded uh, Genesis of motion graphics is it's amazing it's, uh, it's he's definitely an inspiration by the way Benjamin used to be our freelancers as well <laughs> this just shows that we have high quality freelancers <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, I had a hard to hard talk with him uh, uh, recently because I was quite uh, conflicted by this whole okay do you want to uh, create the content or do you want to run a company because it's very different. A lot of people uh, end up wanting, okay, I want to create the content and run the company as well. And you realize that uh, that is two full-time jobs. Uh, people who run the company usually have a lot of burden on their hands. True. In HR, in payments, in getting the contracts that they end up not doing uh, what they set out to do in the first place, which is to create content. And I had uh, a very serious reflection with myself and I personally realized that I do this because I want to make documentaries not run a company so uh the way i run my operations is a bit uh, different i do have my own company uh and i have um freelancers that work for me so we do get uh uh, uh contracts every now and then but i'm also as a freelancer uh contracted out as talents to other production houses uh content content creator companies and all those um as a as a director or shooter for hire so what are the current projects that you're working on right now? So in terms of, uh, I basically have two arms. Um, on the personal, uh, personal building side, I have 10 documentaries this year that I'm planning to make. 10 short documentaries that are under 10 minutes long. Uh, it is a challenge that I have given myself because next year I want to uh, be ready to start on my first uh, feature documentary. But I know for a fact that I am not ready yet. There are still a few things that I want to try. There are still a few mistakes that I want to make before embarking on something that will take three to five years. But why 10, can I ask? Uh, so when I was forming the thing, uh, I had, there were a lot of like numbers that I was floating around in my head because it wasn't, it was more of a like, uh, a more complicated kind of like uh, New Year's resolution and all those kind of things. And I found that round numbers just works nice. At first it was 12. I realized like, 12 once per month, once per month cannot. Uh. I, I've enough experience to know that uh, once per month cannot. 10, 10 seems to be doable now. Not, not all 10 will be released now, uh, but uh, I, it seems 10 is doable. It's, uh, I was doing, it was like, my uh, newest resolution was 10 short documentaries, uh, 100 LinkedIn articles, and then uh, that will also help improve my reflective process and to also improve my LinkedIn game, which I feel something that all freelancers uh, should do. Uh, 300 workouts per year because I also want to be healthy for that and documentary can sometimes be a very uh, physically demanding process and to maintain um, uh, maintain an, uh, a monthly income of at least uh, $3,000 per month because like uh, I'm really engaged I have a BTO that's coming up in uh, 5 years uh, in, you know, in 2023 and all that so just nice I have those here 10, 100, 300, 3000 <laughs> So that just works. Uh. For now, everything like, seems to be on target. Yeah, very good. It sounds like some corporate KPIs. <laughs> yeah. It's it just sounded nice to me. Uh, that's all. <laughs> Do you have a habit of setting resolutions though and like fully completing them? Uh, <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I just have to ask because I... Oh yeah, I so uh, for me... Uh, I don't really... I set goals. It just so happened that this was at the start, uh, at the start of the year. So maybe... Uh, uh, there are other things that I've done before, but maybe the most recent to improve my uh, my photo uh, my uh, quality of photography because that's not something that I I did before I entered army. I learned photography while I was uh, inside uh, while I was still serving uh, national service. So uh, in 2015, I think so. In 2015, I decided that I would post 
a quality photo on Instagram one day every day for 365 days. And that is something that I accomplished. I, I actually, I miscounted, so I published 366 photos. And I think that because of that uh, dedicated process, my photography did improve as a result. Wow. I told myself to post a linking article once every month last year. I, I only have eight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, I lost track after a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should go into corporates and then set terms for them and then start like cracking the whip or something yeah, yeah, everybody yeah, right. that, that can be another career choice for you yeah. I just have to let you know always have options yes yeah. always have options so there's 10 short films that you want to make but what is that dream feature that you're talking about next year What what is it that that you are always aiming for. Yeah. Uh, no, so for, for the dream feature next year, there, uh, there isn't really an idea in mind yet. Uh, I'm waiting for life to show me that idea for this particular uh, feature. But <laughs> then if you're talking about like, let's say like uh, one documentary that I want to do before I like move on. I, my first love for documentaries has been space documentaries. Uh, that's how, that's why uh, like, I get to sit on the couch in front of the TV and see, you know, the wonders of the galaxy. And that's how I've traveled the, the universe because of it. So before uh, before my time on uh, on this place is up, I would want to make, uh, I would want to produce a documentary on one of the final frontiers of, uh, of mankind and to allow that document, uh, to have that documentary be a window for future generations to see and explore and to inspire. And I think that, that was how I started in documentaries and all that. So I, uh, yeah, it, that is definitely a long shot dream, but something that I want to do. So being um, involved in this whole documentary business for a while, right? How do you see the future of uh, freelancing in Singapore? Um, and do you have any hope, um, you know, of where you like to see yourself as a documentary filmmaker's go? Okay, so like that's a, uh, so that's a two-part question. So the first, uh, the first part, I am, uh, I, I see I see a lot of great potential in uh, the gig economy and the freelance economy because I think uh, it is slowly maturing to the point that there are uh, some footholds that new people can come in uh, and don't need to get exploited. You know, organizations like Creatives that works, for example. Mm. You know, now there's actually support mechanisms. Uh, the struggle and the fight for us to get recognized as, uh, you know, labor that should be respected is still um a long journey that we have to do but it's definitely uh i, I would say it's definitely improving uh at a slow but steady uh, at a, a slow but steady pace i think because of this rather cutthroat environment um i personally appreciate it because uh okay it may sound a bit cruel but the wheat uh the wheat gets uh weeded out uh and those who survive in this know what they're talking about because I think we do not give enough credit for the people who decide not to uh, do this line of work. I do believe that people who decide not to do the uh, gig economy but to have a quote-unquote traditional uh, way of doing business, they have their own struggles as well. Struggles that maybe us uh, freelancers do not want to uh, admit or concede because we always like to say that, you know, oh, ours is like actually harder, there are no weekends or whatever. Sometimes we do do that but there's suffering in any kind of occupation that you decide to have. It's just you pick what kind of poison uh, you decide to drink because you love that work or that contribution uh, so much. So I believe that uh, we need to change our mindset a bit in terms of uh, us playing the, uh, the victim card. In terms of the hope of the industry, yeah, I want to get very, very hopeful about it. I think not only uh, is the economy... Uh, 
maturing so that there's more support structures. But I think because of the trailblazers in front of us, a lot more uh, clients are more uh, uh, are more willing and open up to the ideas of engaging freelancers. Because freelancers, you know, previously it's like, oh wait, you don't have an office, you don't have a stable job. It's like, oh, there are a lot of risks involved. But I think there are enough freelancers that have done this for a number of years uh, to prove that this is a solid impact. This, you can have, find a worthy partner in a freelancer as well. I have to say, right, um, that personally going off on what, what you just said, why I like to um, ask people, like, I would say, like, bring people onto the dark side, onto freelancing, is actually, um, I do like enjoy the fact um, that freelancing has given myself, I think I've seen it in a lot of people as well, a lot of freedom to do, accomplish what they have always wanted to accomplish. I feel that is one of the most difficult part to find in your career, in any career that you find. Um, definitely, I think it's hard in all kinds of, um, all industries. Like, um, and certain people's dreams are to be a certain profession. Mm. You know, for example, you're going to be a doctor, you know, the head doctor that you've ever wanted to be. Totally fine, go ahead and do it. You know, um, if your uh, dream was to become a lawyer and, you know, you sit in that profession, yeah, sure, go ahead and do uh, what you've always wanted to do. But, um, yeah, for me, it has always been... I don't know. I guess at that point of time of my life, you know, when I was very young, I didn't think about freelancer as being a profession I wanted to do. But definitely the things that I'm doing as a freelancer, I think is is um, is what I've always wanted to do. I think it's um, the impact that we make on different people's lives as well. Yeah. So sorry, I went on to my own monologue. <laughs> but that's, no that's just one the, the thought that I had. Um that um, is difficult I think yeah like you said it's difficult in every profession mm. but I think it's a dream that you want to accomplish you know what you actually uh, want to make out of if you're going to work anyway might as well work in something you like yeah. <laughs> Can I ask a question actually? Yeah, uh, sure. uh, just to respond to you because it's like one of the things that I've spoken about with other people in the industry as well is that one of the cause of living our dream is some of the what other people in the working world consider uh, basic necessities because we don't have the health insurance that people who work in corporates get. Uh, like if, let's say you pay for your own CPF, once you do the actual calculations, you actually double pay because the 17% from the corporates, now you get to put it out yourself. Yeah. Do you feel like that is a cost that is currently too high for us or is just a cost that you should be willing to stomach to follow your dreams? I don't know. I Actually, that's that's actually a question that even now my mom asked me, you know, even that's why she always is asking me to get a job. It's like, hey, you don't have CPF, you know? You don't see a doctor, who's going to pay for it? I'm like, me, yeah. <laughs> I feel... I feel we are we've grown up too comfortable with that um, uh, with that mindset that someone should be responsible for all of this for us. Mm. So yes, CPF is supposed to be ours. Um, I think the rules have made it so that our employers are supposed to pay something for us as well. But hey, it's your house if you're gonna buy it. It's your healthcare that you should be saving for. You should take responsible responsibility for it. Um, the whole point of um, okay, this is my own philosophy. The whole point of the government coming up with something like CPF is because people like you aren't saving. <laughs> so save, and then there's no problem, right? 
So um, it's, a, it's false saving, isn't that what it is? It has been very blatantly spelled out um, since the beginning. It's to force you to save for your health, force you to save for your house. Um, those are the two main things, you know, force you to save for your, your uh, next generation as well. So I've always had the mindset that this shouldn't be held accountable to anyone else but myself. So actually ever since I started out in my career working and earning, even my first two jobs, I think I didn't have CPF. And I was like, yeah, fine. I didn't have health benefits. Yeah, okay, but I have money to pay if I need to go to a doctor. It's okay. Yeah, so, and insurance, I mean, I, I buy my own insurance, you know. I bought it since I was studying myself, so... I, it's a mindset. Yeah. So I think the key issue is not whether it's a CPF or insurance or what. I think um, we are looking at it as a, or, or rather freelancers should look at it as protection, right? Yes. I mean, it's clearly that as an employee, you are protected. Whether it's by the companies, by the government, because there's Employment Act and things like that. But when you're working for yourself, right, then you are responsible for yourself. So if you're responsible for yourself, then these are the things that you need to consider, right? And just like any other business that has uh, cost of capital, right? Uh, the cost of running a business. So as a freelancer, if you really see this as a viable career, so those are your cost of running a business. So I think as long as you actually approach it, um, you know, with a mindset that um, you understood, that there's this protection part. Whether is it protecting yourself or is it protecting your equipment, your your company, you know? So those are the necessary things that you need to explore, yeah. right? Mm. So I think one of the episodes that we did for our last season was actually on insurance, right? So yeah, I that, saw that. <laughs> that. And that was actually quite well received. So I think um, a lot of the freelancers are aware, right, that, yeah. you know, they need to look into this because um, nobody else, Right, it's looking into this for them. So, um, although I think NTUC, the government, MOM, and all this, they are trying to push for uh, insurance for freelancers, you know, things like that. So, uh, while those are, you know, still in um, discussion stage, um, but right now, you know, the freelancers can relook at their insurance plan already yeah. to plan for themselves. La. I think um, it is a responsible, right? You should be responsible for yourself because you chose this career, yeah. right? Nobody yeah, so I actually do uh, like one thing. I think this really supports that uh, mm. how the uh, this gig economy is maturing mm. in the sense that it does help to support because I think not only the insurance podcast that you mm. helped, which was yeah. quite valuable, you also recently came out with that whole guide on how to do taxes because mm. now it's tax yeah, season, that's and right. that's not something that we we learn in polytechnics mm. or in universities and all that. Uh, yeah. Which I feel is quite strange since it's something that almost everyone needs to do. So I'm not sure why we are not thought about doing it, but that's a subject for another day. But uh, there are also other things as well, you know, the gig economy also gave rise to things like carousel. And there's one thing that uh, us freelancers can do that like production houses cannot do is to buy secondhand equipment and to sell secondhand equipment. And we keep our costs so low if you know how to play that, uh, play that game. And, you know, we oftentimes, I think we give uh, the government um, a, uh, a lot, a lot of like, uh, negative uh, voice about you know how they're not protecting all those but I think uh, someone put on uh, Insta story a few months ago that I happened to notice is that I think they changed uh, some of the laws whereby especially in terms of the copyright law where now it's like when you make uh, like you take a photo or whatever in Singapore like that immediately belongs to you you don't need to file for anything so that's I think there's really some progress in the uh, legislative and uh yeah, legislative aspects. Yeah. So yeah, we are definitely having it a lot better than like you trailblazers uh, in the early days, lah. <laughs> no, but it's I, I feel it's uh, no matter which 
uh, path that you you mm. choose. You know, whether it's career as well or personal choices, mm. it's always your own responsibility to think about all of these things and to protect yourself in whichever way it is possible. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's just, you know, it's it's life. <laughs> Right, before we let you go, right, mm-hmm. we just have one last question that we actually pose to every one of our yeah, guests. So, so the question is, if you were to, if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, although not too far away from where you are now, when you're just starting out, what would you say? I would say, uh, continue to know yourself, understand yourself, and to practice deliberate ignorance uh, productively. Uh, now, delib- uh, I didn't mention this at the very start, but the one re- uh, main reason why I was able to have a leap of faith was because of deliberate ignorance, uh, which is that I didn't know how hard it was to make a documentary. So if I knew all the challenges of uh, producing an expedition and a 12-day overseas shoot in a language I did not understand in a country I've never been before, and uh, you know to get funding and all, I didn't know the troubles of all that, but I just went in. That ignorance helped me to be... Um, uh, blatantly brave maybe for some of the wrong reasons but it kept me uh, kept me through the entire process and that is I that is a um, diminishing resource you can't whereas as you continue in the journey you, you won't have the luxury of having deliberate ignorance anymore because you learn you get to see stuff you know the difficulties and then you have to enter again so you may only have one chance to have that but I don't know anything but I do know that I'm uh, I hold things very responsibility and I'll go to it and I'll make sure that I see it through. Uh, use that first chance uh, with uh, and take that seriously. Uh. So, but if you had the choice mm-hmm. to go through it again, like, you know, NUS would come to you again. Oh, I've already, I have personally already gone through that thing uh, two or three times already. No longer with deliberate ignorance, but I've, I've gone through it again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's where you like switch it on again. Okay, let's go and do it again. Yeah, but I think that's also one of the things where at least I'm not sure about other creatives because I'm not I really I'm really not very good at like short films or whatever. But at least in documentaries, there's always uncertainty. I always do not know how is it gonna turn out because I my philosophy is to let life unfold in front of me and then I would do it justice with every uh talent or ability that I have. So I am trying to be as comfortable with uh, uncertainty and use that, uh, use that to tell the story that I can tell best. Right, great. Okay, so thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for sharing with us today, especially you. with your very valuable um, experience uh, and in a very niche, um, niche market or industry that you have actually chosen in the filmmaking industry, which is documentary making and your whole journey, of course, which is very unique as well to have brought you here today. Yeah. So. Also, thank you to the audience for staying with us uh, yep. in another thank episode you. of the Freelance Creative Exchange. <laughs> Please click on the like button below uh, and subscribe. And if you have any questions for OKJ or any one of us here at the show, please do leave a comment below as well. So until then, bye everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.